Hello once again, listener, and I'm delighted to welcome you to another episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology Podcast in conversation with I'm Hugh Thomas, the Deputy Editor. In today's episode, we're discussing a newly published prospective observational study that investigates clinical outcomes and predictors of said outcomes in hospitalized patients with cirrhosis around the world, as reported by the member sites of the Cleared Consortium, otherwise known as the Chronic Liver Disease Evolution and Registry for Events and Decompensation. I am delighted to have the first author on the paper, Professor Jasmine Bajaj, joining me to discuss the work. He's Professor of Medicine, Division of Gastroenterology, Hepatology and Nutrition at Virginia Commonwealth University and Richmond VA Medical Center, and his research interests cover hepatic encephalopathy, chronic liver disease, and the microbiome. Professor Bajaj, thank you very much for joining me in conversation and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for selecting our paper on behalf of the Cleared Consortium uh, and uh, for selecting it as a rapid communication um, in Lancet uh, Gastroenterology and Hepatology. You're very welcome. Um, so just to set the scene then for our listeners, uh, before this new work that we've, we've, we've introduced, the Clear Consortium that's detailed in the paper that's now online, what do we really know about the global burden of cirrhosis and how this is differing between high-income countries and low-middle-income countries? That's a very important question because, you know, it's uh, only as good as the country's reporting system is. So it has been estimated that approximately 112 million people worldwide, according to the global burden of disease, have cirrhosis. And this, for compensated people, is 1,395 per 100,000 population. But for decompensated, again, it varies. Most of our patients were decompensated, and there is very little data from individual countries, especially countries uh, like from Africa and uh, some parts of Asia, where detailed analyses are then prospectively. So we have potential extrapolations, but suffice it to say there's a huge burden of cirrhosis as a whole worldwide, and there may be a huge distributions uh, uh, changes between countries that we sought to explore in this. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's clearly a, a really important question there. And, and one of the other aspects that I know that you looked at is, is levels of care. So, so what did we know about levels of care and those effects of different levels of care on morbidity and mortality in cirrhosis, particularly how that's happening in, in low and middle income settings? Is, is it fair to say really that the evidence base here seems a little bit thin? Yes, it is quite thin. Um, and that's part of the reason. In fact, that's most of the reason why we sought to do this to actually get prospective data from countries and places that are typically underrepresented in these uh, larger studies of cirrhosis or are just represented, like I said, with extrapolation of data. As far as you uh, can figure out from um, analyses of other disease processes that have been done in those populations, you would expect that the level of care potentially would be very different from some other high-income countries, mostly because of resources and allocation of those resources to health versus other pressing priorities that that country might have. Uh, so, but that was not specifically studied in cirrhosis until uh, this consortium. And, and moving on to the clear consortium itself, it's clearly a really mammoth logistical effort. Uh, I think you have uh, investigators from 90 territory sites, 25 countries, six continents, and, and enrolling, uh, I think, nearly 4,000 patients in total in under a year. How did the project come together and what are the key challenges, really, in getting such a huge study off the ground? So the main reason behind this was a meeting during AASLD uh, as a part where we tried to, and failed again, to define what is acute on chronic liver failure. And so we said, okay, 
let's go back to the drawing board and see agnostic of all the definitions that people have thrown about, including from North America, Europe, and Asia, what actually causes people to die across the world if they're admitted with cirrhosis? And then we go back and figure out how we can actually retrogress and figure out what are the reasons that we need to uh, put together. And when we actually found out that this, where you were born, where you were taken care of, is actually a way more important thing then the actual definitions of ACLF, which frankly a lot of them have, are self-evident truths. So if you are intubated or you have respiratory failure because of intubation or need dialysis, that is considered, you know, failure. But if your country does not have, uh, you know, enough ICU beds or you can't afford an ICU bed or there are not, not enough dialysis machines either in the hospital or outside the hospital, then that kind of makes those definitions a little bit, you know, inapplicable. So what we wanted to do is to go back to the drawing board and see how we can re-evaluate in, a ho in a, as, as holistic light as possible why people across the world die if they are admitted with cirrhosis and why they survive. And that caught in the fire because this is not a funded study. So organizing, everyone here knew that this was a need and everyone knew that we kind of have to come together so, which is why enthusiastically a lot of these sites joined and put in data very, very fast. And uh, we were able to come up with this within, as you said, within one year of initiation of this formally. Fantastic. Moving on to the actual study itself, are you able to briefly then summarize how was the study done? So, you know, what data were you collecting? Uh, what patients are being enrolled in, in what different types of sites? And, and what are the kind of the key outcome measures that you were interested in? Uh, so the main reason, as I said before, was to figure out why people die or live while they're, if they're admitted to the hospital with cirrhosis. We had some key uh, exclusions to make. We wanted people who did not have any other organ failures or massive, you know, uh, or uh, like advanced cancer. But more importantly, the COVID-19 pandemic was still going on. It still is, but it's it was absolutely at its peak at that point in most parts of the world. So we wanted to ensure that the COVID-19 elephant in the room was actually taken care of. So anyone without COVID-19 was the only eligible people in this. We collected data uh, because this was unfunded. We couldn't go completely in depth, but we collected as much data as would be as clinicians would require and reviewers would require more importantly to define who actually uh, what predicts things during the hospitalization on admission and the events that happen during the hospitalization. And more importantly, what happened to these people for 30 days after discharge as well? Because it's obviously not just the inpatient part, it's the pre, intra, and post-hospitalization part that were captured. All these data were actually put together in a data coordinating center under our supervision at Virginia Commonwealth University. And all these sites independently produced that data directly came de-identified to our data coordinating center where it was checked. Our quality control was done. Things were sent back to the patients, uh, uh, to the sites as needed uh, to fix uh, data or make sure that the data was completed. A lot of quality, uh, boring data control, quality control stuff happened behind the scenes. But uh, everyone put their, uh, you know, backs together to make sure that this thing was, uh, this thing came together very, very quickly. And I really have to thank our steering committee and especially my co-PI, Dr. Ashok Chaudhary. We had, um, if you notice in the paper, there are, we intentionally ensured that every part of the world was our every large country that was going to contribute data was independently had their steering committee member that then liaised 
with the sites that they had prior uh, they had done had access to and had uh, good uh, you know um, relationships with. So that is part of the reason why the success of this thing happened so quickly because it was built on relationships and trust, which is what any good consortium should really be. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's clearly a really well-working global consortium there. And on to your main findings then. What are the main clinical outcomes that you'd like to pick out? And was there anything surprising hiding in the data? It was not unexpected, but it was still surprising for us to see the extent of how much where you actually are getting taken care of matters. And it is not just Africa. It's not just Asia. Even in places like the US, if you do not have insurance or if insurance is not good, you're not going to be able to take care of. And that is a very sobering statistic. And part of it also has to do with things related to personal ability to afford things that are not covered by insurance or just those those things just not being available in that country or in that hospital. And that is nothing to do with the actual country's wealth itself. For example, terlipressin is not available in the US, was not available in the US until 2022. And rifaximin is quite expensive in the US. Whereas these are not as expensive in certain parts of the world where they are being freely used. So it's not a simple straight line between, you know, high income countries do better because X, Y, Z, but it is because of these nuances that a, a database cannot capture. You actually have to go down to the depths of each and every individual site and figure out what it is. So in addition to the usual things, I think what policymakers and researchers should take away from this is that where you are taken care of matters and ensure that whatever definitions and whatever models that we have, take that into account first and foremost, because if that drug is not available or not affordable, or if that service is not available or affordable, that thing is not going to be the same. You're going to compare apples to oranges uh, in those situations. Definitely. Some important messages there. Where do you plan to take this work program next? Are the Clear Consortium going to be working on future projects or have you got anything new in the pipeline? So we continue to mine this data for more and more newer aspects, including nosocomial infections, infectious problems, including acute kidney injury rates, as well as the impact of etiology and insurance types. Those data will hopefully be coming out relatively soon. We've also started a second wave to actually compare the COVID versus non-COVID errors to actually compare and contrast whether some of these paucity of resources was actually because of some of those resources being diverted for COVID-related issues, even though none of these patients had COVID, but we were in a high COVID era when these patients were enrolled. So it would be also be interested to actually study what happens now where the relative impact of COVID has gone down a little bit more. Um, and hopefully we want to make this uh, a little bit more um, of, of a funded, uh, solid entity so that we are not dependent on kindness of friends and strangers. So we want to actually make sure that we are um, moving this forward uh, to carry the um, the uh, implications of cirrhosis and outcomes as, uh, and hold a mirror to the resource inequality across the world, which affects these patients' um, outcomes very, very uh, dramatically. Certainly some very important messages to end on there. Professor Bajaj, thank you very much once again for taking the time to talk us through this paper. You can read the article on the global outcomes in hospitalized patients with cirrhosis online now at thelancet.com. 
Thank you to Professor Bajaj, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology Podcast in conversation with. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With wherever you usually get your podcasts.